My name is Gregory Hyde. <clears throat> this morning we are continuing our series on Advent. Advent traditionally means the arrival of an important person or waiting on the arrival of somebody who's very significant, a notable figure. And in the Christian faith, of course, we celebrate Advent as the coming of the most notable person of all time throughout all of history, Jesus Christ. We take time in the Christmas season to refocus on the significance of the birth of Jesus. Jesus is God's gift for humanity. He is truly the God who created the entire universe and everyone you've ever met and everything you've ever seen was created by God. And then that God became a human being. He became a person, came to earth, and lived among us. In previous weeks, Pastor Andy preached on the hope and the joy that we have as a result of Christ's arrival. And so this week, we are focusing on peace. So we are going to start off by reading some scripture. Uh, the first one of which is what I affectionately like to call one of the Linus verses um, from the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special, if you're not familiar. Uh, Luke 2, 13 through 14. And this is usually the most traditional way this is read. So it says, And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. For God, sorry, uh, we're, we're going to go to another verse. Um, I was going down in my notes a little bit too quickly. Uh, in Isaiah 9-6, this is actually back way before Jesus was, was born, but this is the prophet Isaiah, and he is foretelling the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. And so what he says in Isaiah 9, 6 is, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your peace. We thank you for sending Christ to bring peace to us and to our world. We pray that this morning you would reveal to us how you want us to walk in that, how you want us to step into that. Open our hearts and minds to receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, there we go. Peace, that is, that is our message today, peace. Peace to you, peace on earth, peace to me, peace. Awesome, I like peace, you like peace, we all want peace, peace is good. Ain't no peace, we're gonna peace out. In the verse in Luke, Angels are singing about peace. Jesus is coming to town, and he wants to bring the world peace. Count us in, but wait a minute. The question has to arise, did Jesus actually come to bring us peace? Did he actually bring peace to earth? Because it kind of seems like he failed that mission because the news. Or just search for videos of Black Friday. This is supposed to be the season of peace, and we look like we're reenacting Mufasa's death scene from The Lion King. And that's just us shopping. Like, seriously, there is continual chaos and war and violence all over this earth. We do not have to look far to see extreme violence all around us. This planet is jacked on a lack of peace. What do we actually really think about peace on earth? I don't think we buy it. If you look at like movies or, or books, TV shows, anything like that that has to do with peace coming to our earth, you know, like, like an advanced alien civilization coming to earth, 
How does that usually go? One of two ways. Either A, they're not peaceful at all. They're coming to bring more war and death to our planet. Or B, they're so just like disgusted by how much war we wage on ourselves, they don't want anything to do with us. Planet Earth, not so synonymous with peace. Even the Bible doesn't seem very peaceful. And I guess that's not surprising since the Bible mostly takes place on planet Earth. And as we've already established, it's pretty dang rough down here. There's also a plethora of battle language. <laughs> There's a plethora of battle language throughout the Bible. There are actual battles in the Bible, but even our spiritual lives are equated with warfare against demonic opposition. We're told to put on the whole armor of God to prepare for what the enemy is going to attack us with. Anybody remember like 80s Christian rock and metal? There was like this continual resurgence of that biblical theme of war, you know? Petra's big albums of like, never say die, beat the system, this means war. And then that Striper album, Soldiers Under Command, if you have not seen the cover to that, once you get a good cell phone signal outside this building, look that up. It's hilarious. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, <laughs> what? All right. Um, good days, good times. But it's, it's kind of like even difficult to convince some people, understandably, that Christianity is all about love when our holy book is just covered in bloodshed and military wording. Here's the thing, though. Violence for the sake of violence or violence for the sake of enjoyment is sadistic and evil. Abusing others, whether it be another nation or an ethnic group or a spouse or a child, just because we happen to be able to overpower them to make our point or take what we want, that is vile, that is absolutely evil, and the Bible doesn't condone that. It does not condone senseless violence at all. I think it does show us that sometimes conflict is necessary. Sometimes conflict is worth it because standing up against evil is often necessary for good to prevail. It is right to stand up against bullies and abusers and murderers and despots and say, we will not allow you to inflict more harm on other people anymore. And when you live on a planet that is overflowing with evil, standing up to what's right and protecting the innocent, especially in the day and age when the Bible was written, usually involves a fight. But none of us really even want that, right? We'd rather it just be peaceful, like give peace a chance. Can't we all just get along? Seriously, that's what we want. My second oldest son, Julian, is a really interesting guy. One thing we know about him is that boy really enjoys being comfortable. He loves comfort. He chases comfort. He would wear comfy pajamas 24-7 if it were socially acceptable. There are probably a few people in this room who were like, yes. We were at a store once that had one of those displays where it's like the big rack and they have all their throw pillows all piled up in one huge bin. And he's like walking through the store and just stops and stares at it. And he's like, I wish I could live in there. That's Jay, man. That's, he is all about comfort. His happy place is like being on a couch with a pile of blankets just watching Lego shows. The cute and funny stories of this guy and his adoration for soft, comfy, cozy, squeezable, fluffy goodness are far too many for me to tell you this morning. At one point, 
I was thinking, you know, I've actually got to work on this kid. I've got to stop this. I've got to, that's got to go. We are, we are not called to comfort, you know. In the Bible, Jesus even goes so far to assure us that tough times are coming if we follow him. We've got to be prepared to be tough enough for what the world throws at us, you know. We've got to man up. And I was talking to Pastor Andy one day. His name is Pastor Andy. And uh, I was sharing some of the little funny anecdotes about, hey, that mic's still on. Um, sharing some of the funny anecdotes about how Julian really just chases comfort. And Andy's response kind of surprised me. He said, well, that makes sense because God designed us for comfort. Uh, yeah, heaven, right? That's where God wants us to go. Heaven is us being in God's presence forever, eternally experiencing the comfort, love, and peace of God, which sounds pretty cushy. When God made Adam and Eve, they weren't striving and laboring over the garden. God didn't make them to experience backbreaking work. They didn't have that. They didn't have hardships or discomfort until after the fall. We were designed to be comfortable. But the place we are in does not allow us to be able to step into that fully yet. We are in an uncomfortable world where we have to do uncomfortable things a lot of the time. Work is uncomfortable. Relationships can get uncomfortable. Sharing the gospel is uncomfortable. But these things are all good, and they're worth the effort. And we have to find that balance. Peace works the same way. Our desire for peace is really good. It's right. Our desire to see war's end is good. That motivation that songwriters have to write protest songs against war, those people who feel like they want to stand up and say something against a war action, that's really coming from a very good place, a desire for peace. And when we see the word peace written in the Bible, many times it's actually from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. But it actually also means a lot more than that. It means perfect harmony, being in perfect unity, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, good welfare, and tranquility, and Sometimes Jewish folks use it for hello and goodbye, too. Just like it does in English, it can refer to either peace between two entities, especially man and God, or it can re refer to, like, the well-being and welfare and safety of one individual or a group of individuals. Well, we were made for this ultimate, complete harmony, ultimate peace. We were made for living in perfect harmony with each other in heaven. Unfortunately, we don't get the fullness of it here. But there is a manner of heavenly peace, a small part of the kingdom of God that we do get to access here on earth. And we get that by entering into a relationship with Jesus. He can provide that peace. And once we are blessed by that peace, we are called to spread God's peace and love to others. We are called to pray for God's kingdom to exist here on earth with all of its peacefulness as it is in heaven. We are called to be peacemakers. Funny thing about peacemakers, though, they can't make peace where it's already peaceful. The greatest need for peacemakers is not on the shores of a luxurious, all-inclusive resort. Like, excuse me, brother, I couldn't help but noticing you forgot to bring your own sunscreen. <laughs> peace to you. There's not a great need for that. Peacemakers have to step into 
conflicts. Peacemakers have to jump into the fray of uncomfortable situations and bring the words and the mindset and the presence of God into those situations. When we do that, then we will see the peace of God manifest itself in our day-to-day lives. Amen. There's a, uh, a guy named Kenny Thomas. He is a retired U.S. Army Ranger, and he fought in the Battle of Mogadishu, which was depicted in the movie Black Hawk Down. Mogadishu is just a fun town to say. Mogadishu. Mogadishu. Anyway. Um, so I was at an event where... Um, Kenny Thomas was speaking, and this guy's doing an interview with him, and I will never forget this. This guy was asking him about the differences of, you know, what is it like over there when you're living in a war zone, being in this terrible battle for days. And he said the difference between living in a war zone area versus living just in a town here in America is that over there, he said, there's zero sense of safety or control no matter where you go. He said, here, you guys have that sense of safety and control. Then he stopped himself, and he said, Actually, that's not true. You don't have safety and control. You have the illusion of safety and control. And when you're in a war zone, that illusion just gets stripped away. We have the illusion of safety, and we have the illusion of peace in this world. I'm not trying to be political here at all. But since America was founded in 1776, all the way up until today, Our country has been involved in some war of some kind for 93% of that time. Most of the time, we don't even think about that until it impacts somebody that we personally know, a family member or a friend or a friend's child who's in the service. Why? Because our day-to-day lives really just don't change that much in spite of it. We get the illusion of peace even when we're at war. We can even get the illusion of peace by temporarily escaping from our daily problems and circumstances by just checking out with movies, TV, and other media. We can have a few drinks or ingest some chemicals to numb ourselves a little bit more. We can get away and take a vacation at the beach. We can do some yoga. We can go shopping and buy something new. We can go have a spa day. Remember like back in the 90s when the no fear shirts were really popular? (laughs) It's like I can just like skirt right up to the edge of danger and that's kind of like how I numb myself against it is like I'll jump off a bunch of really high stuff and do like some extreme sports and I'm not saying that all this stuff is bad but the allure of numbing ourselves into an illusion of inner peace is all around us the opportunities to step into that are always presenting themselves but when we engage in those activities all the junk is really still there We're still torn up inside. We're just numb to it for a few minutes. Whatever the most peaceful circumstance that this world can claim it can provide, it's an illusion. And we know it's an illusion because, like, one tiny mistake can ruin it all. You're on the beach, but your waiter is coming to bring your drink, and he spills it on you. Moment ruined. Peace gone. You're getting massaged, but your massage therapist sneezes all over your back. Are they going to rub that in? Peace, gone. (laughs) Right? Or some lunatic walks into the restaurant you're in with a gun. I mean, truly, I am just like one knuckle-headed decision away from ruining my entire life. (laughs) Like, to be perfectly blunt about it. But 
don't, don't, don't lose, lose hope. It gets better. There is hope in this message, trust me. You're like, dude, you got dark with that restaurant thing. I'm like, I know, but Jesus is the light. He's going to mop up my dark mess, so hang with me. Um, the people in the Gospels, in the time that Jesus was born, they actually did not have this illusion. They weren't like us. They knew they didn't have peace. They were living in a war zone. They were under occupation by the Roman military, being brutalized and oppressed by soldiers. There were bandits everywhere. They could be robbed and killed just going to visit their relatives a couple houses down the road. Disease and leprosy was rampant. They were yearning for peace. They were yearning for their foretold Messiah to come and bring them peace. Something that's foundational to obtaining real peace and real joy is understanding that this world truly offers us neither. And they were looking for it from somewhere else. The only true peace that can last in this world has to come from outside of it. And I don't mean aliens, because if they do come, they've got inter intergalactic space travel and laser guns, and that whole thing's over before it even starts. And you just got to be honest about that. But it's got to come from somewhere else. It's got to come from outside of this broken universe. And that's where our peace came from. Our God, who created this universe and all of the rules that it abides by, he exists outside of the limitations of this universe. He entered in and was born as a newborn baby to start bringing this world peace. Why did he come that way? We're going to fast forward a little bit in the life of Jesus and take a look at that for this next point. So we're going to turn to Matthew 4, 8 through 9. These aren't the Christmas verses. I know. We'll, we'll get there. All right. So it says, this is, this is uh, in this passage, this is where Christ is being tempted by the devil. So the devil's taking him uh, away from all the world that he's, he's kind of grown up in. He's out in the, the wilderness, and he's, he's tempting Jesus. Um, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said if you will bow down and worship me. The Bible says Jesus was tempted when this happened. It's not a temptation if you don't have any chance of giving into it, if it's not a real offer. Notice Jesus didn't say, that's not true. You don't have control of all this stuff. He said, it is written, you will worship no one but the Lord your God. Jesus knew Satan had some control and ownership over the kingdoms that he was claiming. The earth really was kind of like Satan's domain. When, when, Ad, when Adam fell, he did turn against God, but it was more than that. It was more than just a sin. It was like part of the, the thing that happened in that was like handing over the lease for planet earth to Satan, which was a really bad move. But God was not just going to sit back and watch evil run rampant all over the world. God had a plan to redeem us and set things right again. And this plan started with Jesus, God the Son, coming to earth as one of us. So being fully, completely human and fully, completely God, he could live a perfect life, which meant sin and death had no claim on him. He could then, which fast forward to Easter, spoiler alert, uh, he sacrifices himself to pay for our sins, and then by the power of God's spirit, he's raised back to life again. And now he has power over death, and the ownership of this place back in the proper, uh, proper order, he has the power to grant us freedom from death eternally based upon what he accomplished. 
That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why all this is working. Uh, and we're going to come back to that a little bit more later. But it all started with the birth of Jesus here on earth. And like Pastor Andy shared in the last few weeks, if you look to the gospel accounts in the Bible, it wasn't portrayed as this gorgeous Renaissance painting of light and warmth and glowing halos and no pain, no hardship, just, ah, oh, blessings. No, it was absolutely brutal. Mary and Joseph's tra travel conditions were brutal. Their treatment by their family was probably very harsh. Their journey was extremely dangerous. It was deadly. God himself is entering the world to wage war on the evil in this world. He is reclaiming his territory. So it's only natural that there's going to be massive opposition to it. He is coming to overthrow the tyrannical rule of the little g, God of this world, and set his people free. And Satan does not want that at all. There's a massive attack. There's adversity and attack from every side. Herod is slaughtering all the young boys in Bethlehem, trying to wipe him out. This was not silent night. This was D-Day. A group of men from our church actually recently watched the uh, WW2 series, um, Band of Brothers, um, as like a life group thing on Saturday mornings. If you've seen episode two of that series where they're like flying into Nazi-occupied France, there's just like flak going off all over the place, machine guns everywhere, planes are dropping like flies. That's like Christmas Eve, so spiritually speaking. Um, if you want to hang with that anal analogy, you could think of like, uh, like the angels visiting the shepherds and that's like the propaganda thing where they're dropping, dropping leaflets before they attack. So. We're behind you boys. Keep fighting a good fight. The Messiah has come on to victory over Satan. Anyway, um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> back to the message. So if, if Jesus came as a baby to rescue us, he died on the cross, he rose again, he defeated sin and death, he came here to bring us peace, why is the world still such a rancid pig trough of violence and sin? That's a great question. In the Bible, Jesus and others talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. They, they talk about it a lot. And it's interesting, if you notice, they talk, sometimes Jesus will say, the kingdom of God is here. And then he'll say, when the kingdom of God comes, it's like, wait a minute, you just said it's here. Other times I'll say, the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's at hand, it's right here. The kingdom of heaven, when it comes, you know, down the road, it's like, you keep saying it's here, and then it's coming. It's here, it's coming. It's here, it's coming. Well, it's kind of like both, <laughs> and, and that's all part of God's plan. Uh, if we go back to looking at this like a WW2 analogy, um, Jesus overthrew Hitler, right? Which would make an awesome comic book. Anyway, um, but <laughs> it's like, if Jesus overthrew Hitler, but the German army still hasn't surrendered, Okay, so the main enemy is defeated. He's totally been conquered. But the reason that there's not complete conquering all across the board yet is because our God is infinitely loving and he's infinitely merciful. And a lot of the enemy's foot soldiers are misled, misguided people that God loves and he wants them to know him fully. He wants to take away their pains and their hurts and cover the horrible things that happened in their past just like he wants to do that with us. So showing his mercy, he has decided to wait and give them a chance to defect. 
His desire is for all people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he's waiting and allowing his church, that's us, to spread the gospel and bring in as many human spirits as possible before finally eliminating the enemy and those who choose evil over his righteousness. So the kingdom is here, and the kingdom is coming. The dictator has been overthrown, but there's still this guerrilla warfare going on. We are still facing insurgents every day. It's, it's a really difficult in-between time. The war is won, but we're still in the battle. The church is still in battleship mode. Don't feel guilty about wanting to be in cruise ship mode, <laughs> because we're made for that, and that day is coming. But in the meantime, it's all hands on deck. We started off this morning reading out of Luke, uh, Luke 2, 13 through 14. And I read that from the King James Version because that's usually how we're familiar hearing that verse with the goodwill toward men. That's the version that Linus used, by the way. Um, but, but that interpretation doesn't quite grab something that a lot of the other ones do. So if we take a look at, like, the ESV, for example, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who is Jesus bringing peace to? The ones with whom God is pleased. How do we please God? The Bible says by our faith, by placing our faith in him, by putting our trust in Jesus. It's, it's no surprise to God that for thousands of years after Jesus came, there are still bar fights, genocide, cannibalism, and road rage going on. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have peace with God. We have the peace of God, and we have peace with God. We are no longer at war with him. We are no longer his enemies. We are his friends. We're on his side of the battle. Not just that. Jesus said, follow me, and I will call you my friends. We're his friends. We are also his children. Because Jesus said, call God your heavenly father. You're not just on the right side of the battle. You're not just on the right side of the war. You're not just my friends. You are in the family now. That's huge. That's good. Go to John 16, 33. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you're somebody that you struggle with fear and you struggle with anxiety, man, we, we, our, our, our prophetic prayer team today, they kept getting this message of like people being set free from fear. I mean, that is the thing. When you feel that, you can go back to these passages in the Bible and look at the words of Christ, what he's saying about these things. He's saying, yeah, it's a messed up world. Yeah, there's stuff that's worthy of people being upset by it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We have ultimate peace in Christ that no matter what happens here, we wind up in the presence of God when we put our faith in Jesus, right? I remember one guy talking about how he was on a plane that, you know, the captain came over and they were like, we think we're going to have to do this crash landing. The plane's going down. He was like, I'm on a plane with all these kids who are like coming home from Bible camp. He was like, it's all these born again believers. And it's really surreal how calm they were because to them, it's like, well, if they land the plane, that's a win. If it crashes, it's an upgrade. <laughs> like, how do you wrap your head around that? 
Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world. There is nothing that could shake the peace that he brings us when we focus in on that. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. This is not temporary. This is not an illusion. This is not something just to make you feel a little bit better for a little while. This is ultimate peace from the hands of God. I give this to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus went on even further than this when he was talking to the disciples. He would tell them later, like, guys, there's not going to be any priests anymore. You know how, how you got to go through a priest to talk to God? Not happening anymore. It's you guys. You guys are all priests now. You see this temple where they come to worship? That's coming down and going away. And they're like, but Jesus, that's the one place on earth that we can hear from God. He was like, no, no, no. You guys are the temples now. You get to hear directly from God, from your own spirits. That's the way it's going to work now. He continued bringing peace by reducing the requirements and the laws and the hoops we have to jump through. It's all about a relationship with him now. Let's go to Isaiah 9, 7. This is back when the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. He's talking about this is what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. He says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Peace with no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He's talking about ultimate eternal peace. This is not momentary making things better for a little while. This is all the wrong things made right forever. No more conflict, no more injustice, no more kids getting killed by stray bullets, no more arguments, no more humiliating circumstances that leave you feeling like you just want to disappear. No more wondering if your school is next on that horrible list of school shootings. No more anxiety over how you're perceived by other people. Am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I safe? No more worrying about any of that forever. Just peace. The band can go ahead and come back on up. In the book of Revelation, we're shown imagery of the end times, how Christ comes back to our world, but when he comes back, he comes back as a warrior. He's destroying evil, waging war against demonic forces, and it's not pretty. It's not the like, loving, kind Jesus that we usually envision. But it's those few moments of battle that lead to ultimate peace forever. Jesus is always, even in those moments, motivated by his overwhelming love for us. He's saying, all these injustices, all this evil, all the heartache, all the horrible atrocities that turn your stomach and break your heart, I don't want that for any of you. I love you, and it is time for me to stop this forever. That's what happens down the road. We are still in that difficult in-between time. The battle is won, but there's still a waiting period before Christ's return. There is no true peace in this world apart from Jesus. Broken human beings are going to keep committing horrific acts of violence, but we can, in the midst of that, still experience the peace that Jesus offers us. 
the peace Jesus, Jesus offers us is real. It's deeper and more pure than anything we can imagine. It is deeper and more real than any illusion this world can offer. And we can actually get that peace in here right now. But it only comes by following Jesus, by starting a relationship with Jesus, by submitting our lives to him and saying, I will follow you. I will live my life as you ask me to. Then we can have the faith that we are eternally secure in him, no matter what happens on this earth. Jesus' peace most likely won't get your kids to be quiet when you have a headache. The peace of Christ does not guarantee that you will always get along with everyone you meet. It will not make all your problems vanish in an instant and all the world's conflicts get wrapped up with a chorus of kumbaya. Yet. Someday it will. It does, however, promise peace for your heart right now. Jesus' peace is real. Jesus came into this world to heal our damaged relationships with God. He put an end to the war between our rebellious sinfulness and God's perfection. Jesus came to provide absolute assurance that the doors to heaven are open and you have an invitation. You can know that you are God's child, eternally safe, eternally cared for, and eternally cared about. Knowing that Jesus is waiting to welcome you home where there will be no more anguish, no more conflict, no more noise, makes all the noise of this life a little bit, or perhaps a lot, easier to deal with. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for sending your son to redeem this world and to redeem our hearts. We thank you for the peace that you offer us that nothing can shake, nothing can take away us being able to rest in the knowledge that we are saved by you. We pray, God, that you continually remind us of that. That when fear tries to come against our hearts, tries to come against our minds, tries to shake the foundations of what we hold to be true, that you defy that. We thank you that you can eradicate that darkness in our lives. We thank you that you can calm our spirits. You can remove anxiety. Pray, God, this morning that we here in this room could just rest in your presence because of your strength, because of you protecting us, because of you being able to shatter the darkness that comes against us. We can rest in your peace and your love for us. I pray you help us to experience that and not let go of the knowledge of it in Jesus' name.